Hey there, welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, I said that weird. Anyway, on our panel today, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the shed. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest. It is Andre. Is it Mazur? Or am I yep. anywhere close? You want to introduce yourself, let us know who you are and why you're famous? Um, yeah, um, so I was a front-end developer for many years, and then around 2012, I decided to see if making web games is possible full-time. Uh, then I switched, started Enclave Games uh, Company, uh, started the JS Key Games competition, Game Dev JS meetups, and other things uh, around web games. Um, and I'm trying to make some uh, decent money out of that uh, ever since. Uh, I'm kind of curious where to get started. The way I found you, just to put it out there, I was looking around. Um, I'd been talking to some folks about starting a game dev podcast, um, you know, because we've had different people from different game, you know, game dev systems. You know, on the Ruby podcast, we had uh, Amir Rajan, who does Ruby Motion, which is mostly he's turned into a game dev platform in Ruby. Um, I've talked to Jason Wyman, who does uh, game.dev, I think, is his website. And he has a bunch of courses on using the Unity engine. Um, and yeah, so I was like, well, I wonder if you do this in JavaScript, right? Because that would be cool. And then, yeah. And then can I just put it on the web? You know, I could be kind of an Angry Birds or, you know, maybe something simpler, or maybe something more complex. You know, on, on web technology, I came across gamedev.js. Um, subscribe to the newsletter and I'm always just poking. I kind of lurk. I haven't actually dabbled yet, but uh, yeah, maybe you can help change that for us and uh, give us an idea of where to start. Cause that's, that's ultimately where I'm at. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I do JavaScript. I know JavaScript, you know, web dev is something that I'm pretty familiar with. So I have some of the tools. What, what do I need to do in order to build the game? Um, yeah, so the, the cool thing is um, you already know the language, you already know the tools. Um, I was the one who was switching from front-end. Uh, I was experimenting with web games or games in general. Um, when I was studying, I was trying to make a platformer game in C++ because it was the, the first and only language that I learned uh, back then. Uh, so there was a whole bunch of experimenting. Um, so like 2006... 2007 or something um i was already building games with jquery <laughs> oh wow <laughs> uh, so it's it, it's totally possible it makes absolutely no sense but it worked uh, i was gonna say was, i don't know awesome. whether to admire you or pity you <laughs> I, I admire you i admire you i don't pity you at all jquery was wonderful those were good days yeah Very absolutely simple. i F5. mean it was yeah, it was it was using the tools that we were building websites, and then see if you can actually build some interactive stuff to a level of like uh, a full blown game. Um, it was and it was really nice to try with that. Um, and for a few years, I was experimenting with that and seeing that okay, it's not entirely easy. Like um, around two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. I was giving talk, talks about, is it possible to make games with HTML5? And um, it, it was kind of possible, but it was still difficult. Um, I remember the, the fact that 
Um, there were so I've built a few games, uh, mostly with jQuery, then found some actual uh, JavaScript game engines. Um, it was Impact JS, then Phaser, uh, which came out in 2013, and um, it was cool to see some games. Like there were um, lists of like top 30 best HTML5 games or like uh, top 20 most uh, creative web games or something like that. And uh, so we more or less know, knew each other because it was literally 20 or 30 games total back then. <laughs> so if you made oh, wow. something, anything, it was ending up on the list and was copied over um, to all the other lists. So um, the discoverability was uh, really cool in a way that you just built something, uh, somebody learned about it, and um, it was becoming quite popular because it kind of worked and there wasn't much to, to, to play to see. And uh, that's actually when I started traveling around the world and telling people how to make web games because I made one. <laughs> And it was oh, nice. one more than the average. So um, that was really cool. And um, it was still difficult. The technology wasn't there. It, it was kind of possible, but you had, had to bend this out. Uh First games didn't have any music or sounds. The, the rendering mm -hmm. was really slow and crappy. Um, but um, fast forward 10 or more years and... Uh, we are there. It's it's fairly easy um, to build uh, web games. Uh, we are laughing that uh, in the community that back then there was literally like twenty or thirty developers who released a game. Uh, now there are folks who are making hundreds of web games, and we don't know who they are. Um, that's that's easy. It is, uh, and this is also quite a challenge with uh, discoverability and monetization when you have so many games, it's a lot uh, more difficult to uh, make a living out of that. Um, and getting back to how would you start, um, right now there's a whole lot of uh, tutorials on uh, many game engines. Uh, you can pick uh, game engines. Uh, um, if you know JavaScript, uh, you can write uh, games from scratch. You can find some engines to or, um, use them to to write JavaScript. Uh, if you have absolutely no knowledge about JavaScript at all, you c there are game engines in which you will drag and drop drop components, set uh, stuff in the editor, export to the web, uh, and it will work. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that's totally possible. And you mentioned GameDevJS Weekly, which runs since 2014. It started uh, in January 2014. Every Friday, um, it's out. And we have the tutorials section. And there's literally at least one or two tutorials in every single issue um, since <laughs> January 2014. Um, and it's it's a really good um material to, to look into it. But as I said, if you are curious about uh, game engines, um, you can look for some comparisons, see which is interesting for you if you want to program, uh, if you want to drag and drop, and then look for tutorials uh, or written or videos or whatever. There's a lot of materials out there. Uh, so it's really compared to a few years ago, 
um, it's almost impossible to not find anything on, on your issue or on your idea that you have. Cool. So uh, kind of going back to where, where we started, I mean, how, how do I start, right? It sounds like there are multiple ways to start. It sounds like, um, you know, things kind of get shared around a bit. But yeah, if I wanted to go build my own game, right, I have an idea for a game. Um, how, how do I build it? Like, how do I get something out there that people can go play with? Um, so I think the, the easiest is to copy something easy, like make uh, an- yet another Flappy Bird clone or like mm-hmm. a breakout game or Tetris or whatever. Um, you won't win prizes with that in in some game jumps or competitions or whatever. Uh, but I think uh, it is still the best way. At least it was. Uh, it felt for me that it was the, definitely the best uh, to see how things are made and look into the, the source code and try to replicate that. Um, I remember this from learning uh, uh, web development uh, when, like. Uh, snowy effect in javascript was the huge hit on the websites and like how do you make snowfall on the website Mm -hmm. Uh, with just a few lines of javascript and you could just view source it uh, see how it works and then copy it over then modify it Uh, so i think like at least for me, this was the the best way to to start to see how other folks folks are building the something, and then um, try to replicate it. Either copy parts of the code, change it, or like try to do it with the knowledge I already have. Uh, so one thing would be checking for tutorials and just following them. The other would be uh, trying to build something small, something known. So there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of materials about it. Uh, but if you have your own idea, um, I can totally say, go ahead and try to build it what, with what you know already um, or look for uh, for game engines that could uh, help you do that. But uh, if you want to start uh, writing in pure JavaScript, that's perfectly fine. Uh, for experimenting, there's a whole bunch of um, games out there which are open sourced. Uh, the JST Team K Games competition we are organizing since 2012. Every single game from every single edition, uh, the the source code is on GitHub, so you can play it on the website. But you can also look into the source code and see what crazy things folks did uh, to achieve what they did. So right. between WebGL and Canvas and just having divs with CSS, where is a better place to start? I think with Canvas. Um, I went with uh, through all of those, started with jQuery and like moving divs and, and seeing what happens. Uh, and knowing JavaScript, knowing HTML, uh, before diving into web games, um, helped me build those first first experiments. Uh, and Canvas back then was really not well optimized, um, so it was quite difficult to get some cool effects. Uh, but then on the Canvas, you can paint whatever you want, uh, basically, um, if you know how to do it. And with with WebGL, as long as it was uh, 2D uh, rendering, not 3D, um, 
engines will abstract that from you, so you don't even need to look what's actually happening. Um, but um, I think it's it's worth learning all of that uh, to have some perspective on um, what are the differences uh, and also doing all that to see um, how much uh, stuff game engines are doing for you. Uh, but I think it's quite important uh, to do that before diving into game engine um, to know that if something is happening, something is not working, you have some issues, then you can actually look into the source code of the game engine, for example, uh, and, and or like see errors in the console and then know what's going wrong, what's, what's happening. Um, but I think if you're focusing only on like trying to release something, uh, it, it's perfectly fine to uh, do a shortcut and just pick an engine, look into the tutorials, learn some uh, basic examples and uh, try to build what you want to build. So I'm looking at one of the websites you supplied, the Enclave Games, and there is a game called Forest Cuties that's basically a memory match game. To me, this looks like it looks like it's done in HTML and JavaScript. This doesn't look like a Canvas game. What is this? Is this HTML and JavaScript or is it Canvas? Uh, so actually, so this is Canvas, um, but the, huh. the very first um, card game I've built was um, was just HTML uh, and JavaScript, but it was like literally eleven years ago or thirteen or something like that. Um, but uh, right now, um, Canvas rendering is really fast, and um, there are tools, um, engines, which uh, will help you uh, develop stuff faster. So, for example, Forest Cuties um, is a game created in Phaser, uh, which um, abstracts a lot of things. So I could uh, change the rendering method from Canvas to WebGL, um, and... I will not need to change any, like it's with uh, one line of uh, JavaScript that I'm going to switch between those. Uh, and this is abstracted to a point that I'm using the engine to to, to build components, to uh, render stuff on the screen. Uh, and I don't need to touch Canvas uh, at all. Um, mm. So that's cool. And... Um, it doesn't matter that much what tools do you use as long as the game is entertaining. So uh, for most of the players, uh, it could be Canvas, it could be HTML, it could be Unity export, it could be pure JavaScript or jQuery. As long as they enjoy the game, that's that's perfectly cool. That is cool. And this being a card game, I just wanted to jump in because I've talked to a few people that they have like card games or board games that they want to convert as opposed to, you know, kind of a platform game or a side scroll game. And so that, that looks cool too. It's just an opportunity to, you know, it doesn't have to be kind of your traditional video game. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, AJ, you were going to ask something else. I was going to say, do you think that it is better to learn the primitives first to learn canvas? Or do you think that it's better to, learn the patterns first by having the some sort of game engine that abstracts it. 
I think it's um, it's uh, better to start with um, with the primitives with uh, writing, experimenting with pure JavaScript. Um, but I'm I'm totally leaving that to whoever wants to try. It's like um, I know game creators who haven't written a single JavaScript line and they are web game developers and doing perfectly fine. Um, so it's not needed uh, for releasing games and being a successful developers. Um, but given I was a front-end developer and I have this background, I had a proposition to... to um, create more and more games with uh, tools where I drag and drop components. And in theory, theory, it would be faster to release more games, but I really like coding and I really like tinkering with uh, JavaScript code. Uh, so I really prefer uh, using, for example, a phaser uh, than, for example, I don't know, ex- Unity export or whatever. Um, or like... Uh, game engines uh, where you drag and drop components. Uh, but I think it, it it really depends on what you want to achieve. Like, uh, I, rec- I would recommend um, learning JavaScript, HTML, CSS first, um, but it's not necessary. I can totally see folks diving deep into any picked game engine and just learning the tool and and uh, building cool games and releasing them. So it sounds like you recommend people understand the fundamentals, but you recognize that some people are just going to do the game dev and they might get bogged down with the the other pieces of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so many different cases how someone got into web uh, game dev that mm-hmm. um, it's really up to them. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because I know some people. I'm I mean my my example of this is when I first got into development in in a big way, right? So I had done some at school, um, some software development things like that. But uh, when I really got into web development, I was learning Ruby on Rails. And so I learned Rails, and then I kind of picked up how Ruby and its fundamentals worked, working in a higher level framework. And you could get some of that, I guess, from Phaser. But at the same time, if you have a solid uh, understanding of the fundamentals, it's going to serve you very well, because then you're going to understand what's happening under the hood, and you can more easily troubleshoot and and do things that are outside of the framework or uh, beyond the norm, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And um, like, um, if I'm trying to do something with the game engine and it's not behaving exactly in a way that I want it to behave, uh, I will sometimes just write a, a pure JavaScript function to do that mm-hmm. for me. Um, so that's that's the advantage. It's not needed. I could focus on just using the tool, uh, but it could help in in uh, in some situations and sometimes if i see something is not working then even though the game engine is abstracting a lot of things then i can still know that it's not working because some um some rules that uh, if i wrote it wrote uh, write it in uh, javascript then i would immediately recognize so um one other thing uh, 
man, there's so many questions I want to ask in so little time. Um, so one other thing that I'm wondering about is um, some of the engines that I've looked at, they kind of give you a template, right? So if you want, if you have like a top-down platformer like Legend of Zelda, right, you it'll give you the pieces and then you can replace the artwork and you can change the behavior of things and stuff like that. And then others, they kind of expect you to construct a lot of that from scratch. Um, is is Phaser more one or the other? And are, are there other engines that you recommend that that take one approach or the other? Um, Phaser do have uh, a bunch of templates. Um, well, not not the engine itself. I mean, the even right. the the Phaser creator offers some um, template code. Um, but um, there are so many developers using Phaser that there are a whole bunch of starters, templates, and whatnot. And even I have one, uh, which is Enclave Phaser template, and uh, that's that's exactly what it does. Over the years, when I was building those uh, 2D hyper casual games, usually in portrait, uh, with uh, simple core mechanics, uh, the games always had the main menu, game over, all of those uh, managing sounds and music. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I did the template from, like, I extracted things that were repeating uh, instead of, like, copying over uh, um, from previous uh, projects uh, or starting with uh, recently finished and removing a bunch of stuff. Um, I made a template. Uh, it's uh, free and open sourced on GitHub, uh, which contains the usual stuff that um, I need for my game. Um, people find it useful because it's um, it's kind of old school. There is no build tools. Uh, it's just pure JavaScript file. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a bunch of those that um, does something, and then if you want it, you can uh, you can include that into the into your build step. But uh, um, it's a template with um, main menu, with settings, um, managing sounds and music. Um, but I know that developers building more than two or three games, they tend to either pick some templates that are already there. Um, or if their games are too specific, they usually create their own. Mm, right. But it's it's definitely something that most of the developers, exp- especially more experienced, are either using or building uh, because it helps a lot. It uh, speeds up the development uh, and removes all those boring things like... Uh, showing and hiding settings, switching on and off the music or sounds. Uh, it's, it's always the same. I can replace the button images or backgrounds, uh, but the functionality is more or less the same. So uh, it's boring and I don't want to do it uh, when I'm starting with a, a new fresh template. I'm jumping into the game loop and immediately trying to, to see if the game idea makes sense and focus on that. That's awesome. One other question that I have is, let's say that I start putting together the game, right? So I use the template. Um, I'm going to need music. I'm going to need art. I'm going to need, you know, some of these other things that you've talked about. You said your wife's a graphic designer, so I'm assuming she helps you with some of this stuff. But if my wife is not a graphic designer, she uh, manages the lunch program at the elementary school. How do I get artwork? 
Because I can't draw um, either. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel kind of lucky uh, with my wife being a graphic designer because I can just go there and say, I need this. And I will more or less get it. Um, I might get something totally different because she will have a totally different view on the project we want to build. Um, but um, there are um, places where you can find um, graphic design, sounds and music for free. Um, uh, there's, uh, I think it was Open Game Art. Uh, the service that uh, there's literally like thousands of uh, assets um, graphic design sounds and music um, mm -hmm. where folks are sharing um, those assets uh, most of them are free uh, uh, most of them uh, have really um, good licenses in a way that you can use those in um, commercial projects as well um, you should read the, the licensing, but uh, in general, there are places where um, you can find the whole sets of uh, assets for games. Uh, so you can literally build a game, um, basically any game with the full set um, that you can use uh, without drawing a single uh, image yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I've also my so I talked to Jason like two or three times a, a month. Jason, who does uh, game dot courses, it's not game dot dev, it's game dot courses. Um, and he's also mentioned the Unity um, app store or asset store has a bunch of stuff. You don't have to be using Unity to use it, but you can use a lot of their assets too. Yeah, absolutely. And there are uh, many places, um, more known or less known, that you can you can find assets. Um, there's um, in the uh, web uh, game dev community there's someone called Kenny Kenny NL uh, who creates um, assets that uh, people are using in, mostly in tutorials uh, I I would guess that like 80% of the tutorials are using his assets because they are free and open um, and you don't have to worry about uh, licensing because he's uh, sharing that um, so it's it's really cool as uh, something that you can use. You don't need to draw anything. You can use those um, to prototype your idea. And then if you think this makes sense and you want to go further, you can always hire a, a designer uh, or look for um, more specific assets that would fit your needs. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. One other one I'm going to throw out there. I use this for the podcast. I find the podcast music on it is audiojungle.net. I don't know if they have good video game music, but it might be worth looking at. And it's, um, the, the difference is, is um, the licensing on music is funny sometimes. And so with theirs, it's all, um, once you've paid for it, you have a, a unlimited use license. So. Uh, and yeah, and like um, most of our games, uh, Enclave games, uh, sounds are, and sounds and music are taken from the web. Uh, we don't have uh, an audio guy, so it's like literally right. let's look through the library and see which of those will just fit the best and go with that. So question with that, 
Have you had any issues where either you're doing demos of your game on YouTube or other people are live streaming, playing a game? It looks like you're mostly in the hyper casual. So I don't know if people are live streaming that, but have you had these issues where people are getting YouTube content claims on music that is properly licensed? And how do you deal with that? Um, so with hyper casual games, there's not that much streaming, I would say. Um, yeah. It's a bit different market. So uh, we didn't have anything like this for our games. Um, have you just we do have proper licensing, um, but have you done any YouTube demos with them where you where you demo the gameplay on YouTube or you just let people play it because they can just play it? Um, we actually didn't focus on the trailers or gameplays uh, since um, a, a huge chunk of business on web games could be um, dealing with publishers uh, and selling licenses for the games. So we, instead of targeting the players, we kind of target, uh, make deals with publishers um so um we do have uh people playing our games directly and talking with us uh so we do have the community around the games themselves um but the business side of things um uh, mostly revolve around publishers um, and i haven't heard any issues with um sounds or music uh if they are properly licensed, they, they are perfectly fine. Um, there are um, some um, Let's Players that um, tried the games, played the games, and there was no issues with that. Uh, okay. But it's not that popular. There aren't like hundreds of YouTubers that play our games right. because right. Um, right. I, I, they're really small right. and hyper-casual and you you rather uh, sit on the toilet and play the game yourself than uh, watch someone plays on on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a neighbor that he works for a game company. He's writing them in Xamarin, um, but yeah, he he explained it the same way. He's like, "We're not writing heavy games. We're writing the game that you sit on the toilet and play." Exactly. Um. One other thing I'm just going to throw in with that. So I have run into this in the podcast community, right? Where somebody gets the license to use specific music, popular music in their podcast, and then they post it to YouTube and YouTube, you know, issues a copyright notice. Um, the way that that typically works, just if you run into this, is um, so people can file, uh, it, at least in the U.S., they can file a claim against you using the digital copyright millennial or millennial copyright copyright DCMA DMCA it's one of those DMCA uh, yeah so the the way that that works cuz i've had them filed against some of the podcasts as well is you can file a counterclaim and then they actually have to demonstrate that they own the rights to the uh, to the music or whatever and then the flip side is is that you also have the opportunity and you can do it when you file your counterclaim you can send a copy of your license uh, to the music and so between the two, they effectively then have to demonstrate that you have violated the license to the music or YouTube or whoever else is more or less required to leave it up. Now, YouTube has an automated system that flags stuff now, um, but you you essentially, you file the, the counterclaim the same way. And they, 
they have a form you can fill out. And it's the same for uh, Apple Podcasts and Google and anyone else that posts music or anything else. So if you're wondering what that process is, it's not nearly as scary as you think it is. And you don't need to get a lawyer involved, at least at the first step. And so, with uh, DMCA, um, I do have, have some experience, unfortunately, because I was on the other side of the fence with shady publishers taking games yeah. from the website, publishing everywhere, and then earning money out of the adverts they implemented. Uh, so that's also kind of a problem that if you publish yeah. something on the web and it works, you can more or less copy it. Even if you make it harder, it's not impossible. It's just the amount of time people have mm -hmm. to spend to, to actually do it. Uh, so we do have some battles with some random publishers on the other side of the world. Um trying to explain them that you have to buy a license to 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 be able to uh, right. use the game uh, so yeah yeah software is copyrightable as well so um, i i know that this is off topic but i just want a quick answer from you chuck if you that the problem i've seen is that they repeatedly tag you every single video so i had bought licensed yes. music and i stopped using it because I got a claim on every single yep. video and there was nothing for me okay. to do about it. And I thought, screw it. I, you know, yeah. I paid. You have to, you have to nothing. counter every single video. Yeah. You have to counter okay. every one of them. Yeah. That, Cause to me, that's not worth it. I just, I don't want to spend yeah, my life countering. <laughs> yeah. It's not okay. sustainable really. Um, I, I did have, so one of the things that I've run into is that some of the games I like to play are on the web, right? So I can go play them in my browser. But then they're also published to some of the app stores on like Nintendo Switch or Xbox or whatever. Can you do that with these web JavaScript generated games? Yes, uh, but it's ex extremely difficult and it makes almost no sense <laughs> okay. in a way that it's it's technically possible. Um, there are tools that will allow you to, to package uh, web games uh, for native marketplaces. And there are single success stories where someone actually um, built a web game, released it uh, for marketplaces and um, earn a good amount of money. Um, I don't know if you know Vampire Survivors. Uh, that's um, that's the game that was built with Phaser initially, and uh -huh. then um, the dev is switching to native tools because it, it will be just easier. Um, right. So it, it, it's technically possible. There are success stories. Uh, if you really want to do it, you can totally do it. Mm, but more to to try the market to see if it gets the success. Um, if it does, then you have enough money to to actually either do it yourself or hire someone to uh, build it natively for for the marketplaces. And then I think it, it makes more sense. Um, and but I think the the most important thing about the web platform is that uh, you don't need to be on specific marketplaces. You can just send a URL and someone else can play the game almost instantly. And that's why I said it, 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 it's not making much sense in a way that um, 
with web games, the, the web is the platform. Uh, you don't need to uh, pay for someone to have your game in the marketplace or not, or pay for the adverse because it's the only way to, to reach the audience. Um, a web game works like a website. Uh, you can do all the marketing, you can do whatever you want with it, and uh, you can reach the, the audience, you can reach the players, uh, you can do marketing and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the cool thing is uh, the distribution platform. It's like sending the URL and that's it. It just works. So I guess the other question that I'm running into through in my head is, yeah, you know, how do you monetize them? Because, you know, you've got a catalog of games. I click through on one of them and I seem to be able to play it for free. And, you know, that that kind of, you know, it's, it's cool, but, you know, it doesn't pay the bills. So So how do you make money on them then? Uh, so there are different ways to do it. Um, unfortunately, most of them involve adverts. Mm-hmm. So most of the revenue um, goes from showing advertising. Um, and Or if it's not showing advertising, it's selling your data somewhere. Someone. Right. <laughs> um, there are other ways to to monetize games. Um, there are many experiments. I don't know if you heard about the web monetization API, uh, which is a, a way to stream micro payments uh, when being on a specific website or, or playing in a specific game. Uh, so streaming micro payments in in real time, like one hundredth of a mm-hmm. cent or something like that. Right. Uh, but it's still highly experimental. Um, and so you can put the advertisements yourself. You can try to do in-app purchases. You can um, build for native market marketplaces. Uh, you can sell the games. Uh, you can use platforms like each IO where you actually ask for a fixed price uh, you can ask for ask for um, pay what you want uh, you can release for free and have donations um, you can mm-hmm. run patreon um, and um, one of the things one of the ways we are earning money uh, is through licensing which i already mentioned which is talking with publishers who have traffic, who have some um, um, big amount of users and they want to entertain them. Uh, So they buy the licenses for our games, have the rights to show them on their own portal, and then they can do whatever they want with them in a way that um, they can either have a five bucks uh, paywall or um, show their own advertisements or advertise their own products or there are so many ways to to actually earn money uh i mentioned that most of them are adverts but there is a lot of effort um, to actually shift the focus to to other other things um but yeah it's it's still difficult um adverts still take most of the most of the market uh, do you do any kind of like in-app purchase where people can buy a, like an asset or an extra, I don't know, an extra card or character or tool or something? Not in our games specifically, as they are supposed to be hyper casual and, and, and simple. We don't even put any ads ourselves. So all the games are on our website, enclavegames.com, uh-huh. for free. And there's literally no... 
no adverts, no, 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 no paying, everything is free because of we are doing deals with publishers and then we are usually implementing their SDKs to show their ads on their portals. So um, we get paid to, to adjust our games and then they are earning uh, money from adverts. Do you run into any kind of compatibility issues like, you know, Chrome or Chrome extensions or, you know, specific other browsers or on mobile or anything like that? Yeah, um, that was uh, a big issue 10-ish years ago uh, that um, browsers were implementing um, the same things in a different way especially if you weren't using tools or, or engines that were abstracting that from you. Um, like from, from the times that you had to do CSS prefixes for different mm-hmm. uh, browsers. Uh, so it, it felt the same. Uh, the um, audio had to be done in like five different ways for, for every uh, browser engine. Or you have to have like five different formats because this one will work here, this one will work there, those two may be here, but not entirely. So um, it's it's a lot better right now. Uh, but um, recently with um, Chrome taking over the market and being um, almost a monopoly uh, with Firefox uh, losing a market that's not looking good uh, because you need to have a competing um, browser engines um, and ecosystems. So uh, that, that's how uh, standards uh, should be built in a way that uh, the standard is created and then browser um, vendors mm-hmm. follow that. Not right. like Chrome picking some idea, implementing it, and then saying it works like this, and you have to catch up. One other thing that I'm looking at is um, you've got a couple of games here that are different types, and so I wanted to ask a few questions about those. One is, how do you... So, like, you've you've got Forest Cuties, which is kind of a memory game, you know, and that's just going to be what it is. But some of these, um, like I was looking at the Bodyguard game, for example, and it looks like it might... Um, you tap on the screen to move the virus, you know, destroy viruses and stuff like that. Um, how do you make sure that it's hard enough to be interesting, but not so hard that it makes me want to give up? Um, it's a matter of testing. Uh, and like, um, but the important thing is to not te- like, of course, when you're a developer, you are the, the very first tester as well. But uh-huh. um, from the competitions I'm organizing, I'm seeing developers uh, not having time to ask other people to actually play test the games. So they, in most of the time, they end up too hard. Because if you're uh, the creator, then you know the, the game uh, from memory and uh, you have no issues playing it because you were doing that from the very beginning. Right. But um, you should uh, ask other folks to try it who haven't seen your game at all or like not are that skilled or are experts in other types, on other genres of games. So uh, it's kind of crucial to share the game 
with testers, be it your family, friends, or like random people on the internet. Um, but uh, because like most of, of the games, especially in those uh, competitions where you have limited time, uh, are too hard uh, because someone focuses on uh, having a good experience for themselves, uh, thinking that the balance is good, but they know every single aspect of the game and they know how to do things, uh, what to do in the game. And um, most of the feedback that is um, done by other participants to the entry that is already submitted and it's like literally five minutes after the deadline and they're like, oh crap, I could have made this a little bit easier because people don't know how to control the game or um, like have difficulty getting through the first level. Um, So yeah, like, sharing the game to be tested and remembering that it should be easier than you think it is, uh, is, is, is quite important. Another one that I, and I'm looking at some of the other games you have, cause some of these look like games that I might want to build. Um, so another one's the wizard quest and it looks just at the screenshots. It looks like it, um, it's it's kind of like a, what like a Candy Crush or something where you're uh, moving yeah the much much around. free uh, type of game yeah. yeah but it also looks like it kind of has a trail or a story to it uh, yeah that's uh, that's a little bit more complicated game there's actually a funny story with that game uh, because um, when you don't know how to build games or starting to do that you think that making games is easy. Um, that is the famous uh, mistake that uh, you do that uh, a whole lot of people mm-hmm. are like, okay, let's build the very first game. Let's make it an MMORPG. Uh, let's try uh, World of Warcraft, but better. Uh, and after a few years in the basement trying to do something that works, you fail miserably. And um, the, the important thing is to start with uh, as simple as possible. Uh, that's why I said at the beginning to try with uh, Breakout Clone, with Flappy Bird Clone, mm-hmm. because um, I actually... So Wizard Quest was the very first game I wanted to release as Enclave Games uh, in 2012. I struggled a lot. I rewrote the game seven times from scratch because oh, it had wow. to be perfect. Uh, and it still wasn't. There was always something new to do. There was al- always something to to change, to update. And some things were just too difficult. Uh, so I throw that uh, into the trash. I made uh, Captain Rogers, which was literally, it's, it's the first, uh, um, uh, the, the oldest game on, on the website, which is literally just flying in space and avoiding asteroids. And that's it. There was There is no shooting at all. And the bonuses are there only because those are the asteroids and, and have different effect on the player. So I was trying to build Wizard Quest and it was really difficult. Um, so I went with like, okay, let's build whatever. And I built that Captain Rogers and then it was like, I went through the whole process of testing, building, releasing a game. Um, then I started being invited all around the world to tell other people how to build web games because I, I did that one. And it was always ending in some like top 30 best entries or whatever. Um, and then I decided to build Wizard Quest. Like 
I was literally a few years later, I was traveling around the world, uh, giving a talk titled how to make a simple web game in like four years or five years, uh-huh. uh, because it literally took that time uh, bef- after uh, releasing Captain Rogers, building few other very simple games out of which uh, every single game was having some component that I would use in Wizard Quest, like uh, uh, let's use a map, let's have match three mechanic, let's uh, show a, a, um, a list of um, beasts or, or items or whatever. Uh, let's manage sounds and music. So all of those games up until Wizard Quest uh, helped me um, build confidence and skills. And after those few years, then I sit um, and decided to uh, build Wizard Quest. And it literally took like, I don't know, two months of development. Mm, But the very first version in 2011, 2012, up until when Wizard Quest was released, took like four or five years. Uh, Mm. So it's still a fairly simple game, uh, but um, it was kind of important to um, build those skills, uh, learn how to release games, um, and then know that some projects are still too big or or will take too much time uh, or need preparations. Gotcha. I, I love that progression too, because it seems like, and I do this too, right? I get in and it's like, I'm going to do the big massive thing. And part of the process is, yeah, doing it wrong, figuring it out, you know, trying something, maybe, yeah, finding a different project to try it in where it doesn't have to interact with all the complex stuff that I've already got in there. And yeah, it's, it is, it's a process. It's a skill like anything else. I mean, there are uh, people who like, uh, hid themselves in a basement for t- five to ten years and released the very first game and make, made a huge success. Uh, but those are uh, really only a, a handful of cases that uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the similar thing about them is that they, they say that they almost went insane <laughs> doing that. <laughs> right. uh, so it's, it's really, really challenging, difficult, and uh, maybe not the best way. Uh, I mean, you could try that, but um, in most of the cases, um, if you go with this as smooth as possible, then it gets you the, the best results. And most of the developers I know uh, really try to follow that that progression somehow. Yep, absolutely. So one other question that I have, we're kind of getting toward uh, the end of our recording time, but um, one other question that I have related to this is, it looks like there might be a little bit of story component to some of these games. Um so how do you how do you come up with a good story that kind of makes people want to go to the next stage and see what comes next? Um, so uh, the, since we are focusing on hyper casual, there's not much of a story, but right. um, the first entries. Um, so what we did because we were like, okay, let's do something, but what? And then there's a void, a black void of absolutely no ideas uh-huh. and so we um decided to participate in game jams and com- competitions hackathons because you have a theme and you have a fixed uh deadline for submitting 
So we actually used events like Ludum Dare or Global Game Jam, uh, where a theme was announced and we were like, okay, we, we want to try experimenting with a card game mechanic or like tapping on the screen and moving from side to side or like shooting at stuff. And then the theme is um, water, for example. Okay, so let's make a game where you jump uh, on the floors up and avoid the flute. And that's how Flute Escape was created. Uh, so um, most of the stories, most of the ideas came from participating in a game jam. And if we liked the prototype that we built, because it doesn't have to be a full game, uh, it could be just uh, 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 an interesting idea. If the, the prototype was good enough for us, and we thought it, it has a potential, then we were releasing the full game. And since those are still hyper-casuals, uh, they will take like one or two months or three months of development. Uh, so there's not much of an effort. And um, if it's a flop, if it fails, if people don't like it, that's fine. We learned new skills and um, we can then move on to, uh, to the next idea, to the next game. Uh, to the right. next uh, hackathon and and see if 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 the next game game will be more interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. So you don't spend a ton of time on story or character development. It's just something you can sit on the toilet and play. But, yeah, yeah. Again, like uh, it it could be like super interesting story, and you spend five years on it, and it's like totally innovative. Nobody else done it. Uh, all the Enclave games creations are literally simple and the, the, the core mechanic was done like hundreds of times already. Uh, right. So they are not original, but they are fun. That's that's mm -hmm. the most, like it was fun for me to try that and, and release it. And it's fun to play them for some of the folks, and that's that's totally enough. Uh, and if if publishers are coming to us and saying, "Hey, we like this game, we want to license it," then it means it works, and and we can work on on more more games and uh, grow the catalog. Yeah, it makes sense. My son, the games that he's into um, are much more involved and have much more of a story to him. So he's, I think, his favorite game is Undertale. He's also into Deltarune, which is the sequel to that. And then there's one on the Nintendo, and I can't remember what it's called, but he's way into that, right? So, yeah, I'm I'm aware that Toby Fox or some of the other people that have put those games together spent a good deal more time, you know, working out, you know, the play mechanics and the fighting mechanics and the movement mechanics and the storylines from the characters and things like that. Whereas, yeah, you, you're putting something together that people, you know, it gets progressively harder maybe as they advance levels. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's not something that is that involved as far as, you know, engaging the, the player to play hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it, it's good if, if the game are engaging, if, if you want to get back and play them. Uh, yeah. I, I remember that I wanted to release games that I would play and, and get back to playing. And um, that was kind of important. And if others would be enjoying them as well, that would be awesome. Uh, but like we didn't have like a, I know there are companies that will see what are the current trends or like copy mm -hmm. some of the native games as soon as possible, as quick as possible and release them. Um, it, I guess it works for them because they are still in the business. 
but the, the cool thing is you can have totally different approaches. You can still find your niche uh, and you can still make a living out of that. Cool. So uh, I have one more thing. I'm, well, two more things I'm going to ask and then we'll wrap up. Um, the first one is, is you have a game hackathon. And, and I, I think I saw the link to uh, game dev JS on it. Is that something that you run or is that just something that you're affiliated with? I think it's the js13kgames.com. Uh, so it's actually two um, events. So the JS13K Games is a competition that runs since 2012 every year. So we already had like 11th editions mm-hmm. or something like that. So that's uh, that's quite a challenge because you have to build a web game in 13 kilobytes zipped. Uh, so not wow. every game developer will be able, web game developer will be able to participate. But apparently, uh, this was like, I'm not gonna do it. And they were like, so uh, it 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 got quite popular, um, and uh, many folks are trying that as a challenge on itself to to build something in 13 kilobytes. Uh, so we really have a cool community around that. Uh, this is happening online in August. You have a whole month to build a game. So it's not like 48 hack- uh, eight hours hackathon where you okay. don't sleep, uh, eat pizza and drink Red Bulls. Um, uh, I've done those. Can, They're kind of fun. Yeah, I, I did those as well. Um, so many global game jumps. So um, mm-hmm. that's also cool uh, where you're young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like um, folks participating in JS13K are like, okay, I'm going for a two week vacations with my family and I'm still getting back and I still can release something. Like I have a full time job and I have only uh, evenings and I still can do something or like um, other situations. And and you can actually like uh, there are folks who participate in in JS13K. They have a whole month, but they select one weekend and um, spend um, time building something um, for that. So JS13K is one thing. And the other uh, is something newer, uh, Game Dev JS Jam, which runs online in April. And um, this one is more open and more general. So as long as something is exp- like, if it works, if it uh, if you can launch it in a browser, it's a web game, so it automatically qualifies. Um, so it doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter if you exported it from Unity or coded from scratch, if you use jQuery, Phaser, or um, Construct, or whatever. Um, but you have 13 days, so it's it's a little bit shorter, but it's still not 48 hours. And um, the the game dev JS Jam is is uh, quickly getting um, quite popular um, since it's fairly easy. At least it's easier than a few years ago uh, to actually build something. Uh, so the game dev JS Jam is more general. Uh, so I highly encourage you to try that first. And then JS13K is quite the challenge. So if you want to challenge yourself, this is 
the ultim- ultimate thing. And uh, But the cool thing is, what I man- mentioned, is that all the games from all the years are on the website, so you can play them. And the source code of every single entry uh, is on GitHub, so you can see how nice. people over the years uh, created those games and to take some inspiration from that. So Game Dev JS Jam in April and JS K Games in August uh, are those two competitions that I'm organizing. Um, and JS K since 2012, Game Dev JS Jam uh, since 2020. Cool. All right. Well, I'm just going to throw out uh, a shout out to gamedev.js or it's gamedevjs.com is, is the domain. Um, just the newsletter is awesome. I haven't joined the Discord server. I just saw that on the website. Um, but yeah, there's just so much cool stuff that comes through it. So I'm just going to shout that out. Um, I'd like to get us into picks and uh, we do a self promo segment ahead of that. So um, I'm just going to move us over there. Before we do that, though, uh, besides the websites we've already mentioned, are there other places for people to follow you or connect with you online? Uh, so there's my website, uh, n3r.com, uh, but um, it's it's basically um, me sharing all the other things I'm I'm doing. So it's uh, it's Enclave Games, JS K Games, uh, Game Dev JS. Uh, which is the newsletter, uh, Game Jam. Uh, we also run the Game Dev JS survey since 2021, so it's mm-hmm. quite the new thing. Uh, we had uh, so GameDevJS.pl was like uh, local meetups in in Warsaw, uh, but the pandemic hit, so we decided to skip it, and it, it haven't returned yet. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of things around web games. If, if you can find a topic about web games, uh, some activity, I'm, I'm probably doing it. If you haven't found a website about it, then it's, it's probably, it, it probably failed, but I've tried that at some point anyway. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the self-promo stuff. Uh, we kind of let you do it already because you told everybody where to go find you. Uh, AJ, do you have something that you're working on that people should know about? I can't think of it today. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm working on stuff, few... but... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm still working on um, the stuff I mentioned last week. Um, basically, it's the careers show, so Catapult Your Coding Career. Um, I'm also getting ready to launch another show called The Developer's Toolbox. Or I think it's just Developer Toolbox because I think that's the domain I wound up with. Anyway, um, Developer Toolbox is going to be basically interviews with folks that build dev tools, right? So it may be a commercial thing like Sentry or Raygun. It may be a free thing like VS Code. Um, so anyway, just keep an ear out for that because um, we'll we'll talk about what problems they solve, why you might want to use them how to get them set up and just make sure that you have everything you need to benefit from them. Um, and then catapult your coding career is going to be career advice. And I talk to a couple people a week probably, and I answer their questions. So that's mostly what I'm going to base that on is just the coaching I'm doing. And I guess if you want to get coaching, you can go to topendevs.com slash coaching. All right. Um, let's go ahead and do picks. Uh, I see AJ's mouth moving, but I don't know if he's talking to us because he's muted. Am I unmuted now? Yeah. Okay, because it said I was not muted, but uh, okay. Anyway, there was one one thing. 
I created okay. a tool called Aliasman. And what it does is manage your aliases for you. And a lot of people just use one shell. And if you're using, I, I think if you're using ZSH, I think there's a way that when you create an alias from the command line, you can just have it save automatically. So wouldn't apply to you. But if you yeah. switch between shells, for example, I switch between fish and bash based on what I'm doing, but I want my aliases to be present in both. Aliasman allows me to define an alias from the command line rather than having to go and edit the file manually. And then it exports it to both shells. So I can have my alias and eat it too. And that's up cool. on webinstall.dev slash aliasman. Awesome. All right, let's do picks. AJ, what do you got for us in picks? So I'm going to pick OC Remix. I have had very, very few problems with their with licensing issues. The only issues that I've had have been there was someone has a sub-license of a song and they're making copyright claims against people who are using the song who also have a sub-license, which I think is just kind of dirty because... If mm -hmm. you're not the copyright holder, then you shouldn't be making copyright claims based on a sublicense. And then another one was a stupid parody account, which had remixed the song that I was using, made a copyright claim against me. But other than that, and that's and I've been streaming OC Remix for a year, uh, or as the background music in my streams. Other than there was three instances and they all happened recently. I'm guessing with a recent YouTube algorithm copy match change to their, their algorithm. I it's been, it's been wonderful and remix OC remix. You can select a tag. So you can select high energy or low energy or ambient or chill or classical or whatever. And there's a lot of tags where there's hundreds of songs. So you can stream for quite a few hours before you end up back in a loop where you're, you know, listening to the same thing. And of course, you can download the music, you can put it in your own music player, you can curate your own playlists. It's it's all, some of it's original, some of it is remixes of game music. I don't know how all the copyright works, but I'm guessing that since a lot of this is retro and a lot of it's exported from Japan, I think that the way the copyright works is that basically stuff that was made in the 80s in Japan is no longer under the same copyright protection for music or something. So there are a lot of scores that are really, really similar. I mean, they're, re they're renditions, they're remixes, but they're, you know, they're basically the same thing as the, the original tune. So, you know, you get some nice, you get some nice original music, you get some nice remixes. And so, and I, I'm putting a link to their content policy, which is very generous. It's basically, unless the primary purpose, purpose of what you're doing is making music for money, you can use this. It's streamer safe, essentially. And then I will also pick, there's a company called Ballerini and they sell at Costco and uh, you can also buy them on Amazon and stuff, except you probably wouldn't get as good of a deal as you'll get at Costco. But they're only in, they're one of those companies that's only in Costco a couple times a year. So you got to catch them. I'm linking to their schedule, but these are the best nonstick cookware. That's the best nonstick cookware set in the universe. As far as I know, it's, it's real nonstick. I don't, it does, it's not Teflon. They have this thing that they call granitium, which I think is just a fancy way to make it sound like it's that the Avengers took granite and formed a new element out of it. What I think it really is, is a extremely high temp epoxy that happens to have uh, kind of a nano texture to it so that it 
doesn't doesn't uh, adhere. And you cook anything in it. You can burn stuff in it. Uh, we've had them for about six months, and I do the dishes. My wife cooks. I do the dishes. I have mm-hmm. never yet had to take more than ten seconds to get one clean after after use. And then I am also going to pick two everyday carry knives. If you have been looking for a great everyday carry knife, see, I, I, I kind of got out of knives for a while because they're big and you can't take them on the airplane. And I was traveling a lot for a while, but I got back into it. And there are two knives that I found that I really, really love. Not just like, but the, the second one in particular, I love. But the first one I loved until I found the second one. So there's there's this, it's a it's a brand that they sell at Walmart called Utility Series. It's just kind of a no-name brand, but they have, it's better than the Gerber. It's better than the, oh, I'm blanking on the other name. It's, it's better than the name brands that you think of when you think of outdoor, you know, everyday carry stuff. It's just this no-name brand called Utility Series, and it's perfect. It clips onto your keychain. It's nice and small. It has a knife, scissors, and uh, a flathead, and I think I think that's it. And it's it's just wonderful. It's lightweight. It's my, my wife has it on her keychain. I bought a bunch of them. I, I give them out as gifts now. They're amazing. And the other one is uh, a keychain knife called e, or it's by EDC Fans, and it's their it's their keychain knife. It's just called Keychain Knife. And it's got two knives on it, a straight blade and a serrated blade. It's actually a little bit bigger in every dimension than the Utility Series, but it feels smaller. It's got a square design rather than the typical Swiss Army knife-looking round design. And it just it feels great, and it feels like a real knife. It's not just a little pin knife. It's a short knife, but it's a real knife. And I'm super excited about it. Absolutely love it. I think it's great. You know, if you're into that, check it out. Yeah, I just carry a box cutter around with me. Anyway, um, uh, so my picks, I, I usually do a board game pick. Um, we did a board game, or we played some games with some friends last night. And uh, we played a game called Mysterium. And effectively what it is, is you, um, we played it. I think you can play it with six or seven people. Um, but yeah, so. And, and it wasn't that complicated. It, it took a little bit to get it set up and figure out how to play it. You know, our friends had played it, so they kind of walked us through it. But it wasn't that complicated. They play it with their game, their friend, their kids. Sorry. And I think I think it took us an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Um, so the way that it works is you have one player who's the ghost. And then you have up to six players who are the psychics and the psychics are trying to solve these murders. And so um, the, you start out and you have all of the people laid out their cards face up. And then you have the places and their cards face up. And then you have the motives for the murders and their cards face up. And each psychic is trying to solve a different murder. And so this ghost is sending them visions from the beyond. And so they they have cards that just have pictures on them, right? And they're kind of random. And so they, they have seven cards, and they can give one or two cards to each person to give them a clue as to which person, because you pick the person first, 
And then you, um, you know, and then if you're trying to find the location, which is next, then, you know, the cards are clues for the location. Um, so when you get the person, you clear all your clues, right? Because those visions don't apply to the place. And then, you you know, you kind of move your way up. And so anyway, um, it was it was really fun. Um, and what you're trying to do is, yeah, you're trying to solve your murder before the clock runs out. And then the other thing you do is you also have um, little tokens that you put on when when other people guess their person or their place or their uh, motive, then you guess whether they're right or wrong. And so you, you have six tokens, and so you don't have to use them all at once. Um, and you get all your tokens back on the fourth round. So you, you do that, and you get points for that, and then your points determine at, on the, at the end after everybody solved their murder. If, no, if somebody doesn't solve their murder, the game ends and you lose. Um, but if everybody you know, solves their murder, then the, the ghost is trying to let people know which murder is their murder. And so uh, they'll give three clues to which of the six, in our case, it was five, which of the five murders is their murder. And the way you get the cards is by getting points, by guessing who's right and wrong, or by solving your murder early. And so you use, you get the points. And so you get to see one, two or three of those clues. And then everybody guesses. And if the majority of the psychics at the table pick the correct murder, then you win. And so we lost at that point because everybody picked a different one. Um, so anyway, but it was fun. It was really fun. So, uh, Mysterium, uh, has a board game weight of 1.9. And as I've said over and over on this show, two is kind of a casual game. So this one fits right in, right? It's, it's something you could pick up and it's not so complicated that it's like, I have a million pieces or this is really hard to figure out. Um, you know, you play it through once and you know, you got it. So anyway, uh, I'm going to pick Mysterium. I'm sorry, that was a little long-winded, but it's a fun game. Um, and then uh, the other the other picks I have, um, this last week was just rough. Um, really close friends of mine lost their baby. Uh, she had a genetic defect, and so it was kind of... I mean, we were all kind of hoping for the best and waiting for the worst. Um, but I, I just... And then I tweeted out there too. I was, you know, I was just like, Hey, look, you know, just hold on to the people you care about. And, and I really, I, I guess you get this perspective every so often, right. When you lose someone you care about or you, um, you know, you're, you're there with people who have lost people, but, um, you know, just recognize that. Yeah. Sometimes things aren't going your way, but you still have the people you love. You still have the, you know, the work you love. And, you know, just recognize some of the blessings in your life as far as, you know, that, that, you know, I mean, I have five healthy kids, you know, um, you know, my, my marriage is great. You know, things are really good here. And so, yeah, do I have problems in my life? Yes. But to put it in perspective, right. Uh, I, I get to continue on with, you know, the things I love and the people I love. And so, yeah, so just, just kind of keep that in mind as you, um, you know, step out and see a problem and just recognize that in the grand scheme of things, um, at least for right now, I always tell people to, you know, my season of life is good and, you know, their season of life is hard. And, you know, eventually it'll be my turn for something 
tough to go through to happen to me. But, you know, appreciate those good times and hold on to the people you care about. All right, Andre, what are your what are your picks? Um, so if I can, um, I will have a few. And if I can uh, take from what we talked about, uh, then I would uh, encourage folks to first um, join the game the JS Jam, uh, which will be running April thirteenth, twenty sixth, because we have a whole bunch of prizes, uh, really cool experts, uh, and it's literally open to um, anyone who would like to try like building their first game uh, with from scratch with JavaScript with any tools they can find. Um, so that's that. That's the thing. Uh, cool prizes and and really cool community. Um, between April and August uh, and other uh, months as well, the Game Dev JS weekly newsletter with a whole bunch of interesting information um, every week in your inbox. Um, every Friday, some some tutorials, demos, games, etc. Uh, the the JS Titan K Games competition. In, if you want to challenge yourself more than the jam, uh, if you want to see how difficult it is to squeeze uh, a game into thirteen kilobytes, um, and the next, uh, I would like to give a shout out to the Phaser creator Rich Davy, who is doing an awesome job. Um, building the tool that I'm using since 2013 or 14. Uh, so that's that's a big part of uh, my uh, professional career. And since um, you mentioned the board games, I'm going to bring the, the, the one board game um, that I'm enjoying, uh, Neuroshima Hex which is uh, a game from uh, from Polish creators. And I'm running a fan site of Neuroshima Hex since like 2010. Uh, the game was uh, released in 2006 or five, And it's a really cool game. Um, if you like the post-apocalyptic themes, uh, then you have your own HQ, uh, an army fighting with um, opponents um, on a hexagonal uh, grid. And um, since the inception, there was like, I don't know, 15 or 20 um, um, army add-ons. So there is a whole bunch of um, content to be consumed. Um, and um, Cool thing is it took us like eight years to uh, actually build something for uh, for Neuroshima Hex board game as uh, web game dev creators. So we actually had some add-ons, like digital add-ons to a physical board game. Uh, so you could um, keep track of the tiles or uh, do a bunch of stuff um, specifically for for the board game and uh, the cool thing is the, the the board game is also available as an application as a digital game uh, for iOS and Android um, so if you 
don't have the opportunity to act, to actually check the, um, the physical board game, you can download that, uh, play it, and see if if you like it. Uh, I highly recommend that. It's it's really enjoyable, uh, easy to learn, hard to master, um, and there's a whole content, a lot of content to um, to have. So I totally recommend that. Awesome. Um... All right, one last thing. I did want to also shout out about Game.Courses, um, which is, like I said, uh, done by my friend Jason. So uh, if you're looking to get into Unity, uh, check his stuff out because it's awesome. Um, and yeah, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks for coming. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Well, until next time, Max out. <laughs>